You are listening to the Sermons Podcast of First Baptist Church, Mount Washington. I invite you to take your Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 as we, uh, before we celebrate the Lord's Supper, thought it might be good for us to uh, look at this important passage on it. Um, hopefully you picked up a bulletin as, as well uh, today, multiple reasons. There's uh, uh, announcements in there, uh, information about our church picnic this afternoon uh, that I hope that you'll check out. Uh, also on the back of your bulletin, several announcements there, a special called business meeting this Wednesday to elect messengers for the uh, associational meeting that's coming up. Uh, senior adult luncheon next Sunday, and uh, as well as the deacon nomination uh, that I mentioned to you last Sunday, that begins this month as well. So wanted to mention those things uh, to you and by way of announcements. We turn now, though, to the Word and uh, to preparing our, our hearts for the uh, Lord's Supper. This is uh, 1 Corinthians 11, I think, is the most uh, comprehensive text uh, on the Lord's Supper. And uh, one that I think is helpful to us. Let's look at verse 17. The Apostle Paul writes, But in the following instructions I do not commend you, because when you come together it is not for the better but for the worse. For in the first place when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What, he says, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I'll give directions when I come. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word to us this morning. We pray as we, as our habit, Lord, please give us ears to hear it and uh, 
Help us to humble ourselves that we might have hearts to receive it and lives to put it into practice with. And I ask, Lord, that you would help me now as your servant. I pray that you would increase and I would decrease and your word would go forth. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I was reading this week about a a little girl named Kathy who was looking forward to moving out of children's church and coming into the the big church with her parents. It was her first Sunday. It happened to be the uh, Sunday in which the Lord's Supper was being served. And and, uh, as it was passed and she observed all of these different things, she whispered rather loudly to her mother. Uh, She said this. She said, the snack in children's church was much better. (laughs) And she said, "Um, you get a lot more juice there. The Lord's Supper is a wonderful opportunity for parents uh, to share the gospel with their kids, and uh, it's an instructional time, and it gives us opportunity to be reminded of of many important things. Um, Obviously, communion is not something that only Baptists do. Uh, The people of God have celebrated communion Uh, Throughout history, it was an essential part of the early church. Last week, we looked at Acts 2.42. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers, referring there, I think, in large part to the Lord's Supper. And so from the first church in the New Testament until now, uh, every faithful church practices the Lord's Supper And you've noticed if you've visited other churches before, perhaps you've come from different backgrounds, that uh, we haven't always agreed on how uh, often to take the Lord's Supper or what you should use in terms of elements for it or what to even call it at times, and and at times even what it means. Uh, We have some traditions here in our own church that uh, you will uh, notice. We use, for example, uh, grape juice and and, and a little uh, cracker or wafer, not, not wine and a loaf of bread uh, that Jesus and his disciples likely used. Uh, in our church, in, in, in just a moment, the deacons will be serving the Lord's Supper to you. That is not because necessarily the Scripture tells us to, but it is something that we uh, feel, believe it is important and, and a, a tradition in our church. We, we also do the Lord's Supper s- several times a year. Uh, but not weekly as some uh, churches, some denominations would do that, which is often the hardest thing for many people uh, from other traditions to accept. But the truth is, the Scripture doesn't give us a ton of information about how to do this. But, But it does, it's very descriptive about why we do this. And, and the key passage, I think, is found here in, in the text we just read, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And uh, if you know anything about the church at Corinth, you know that it was uh, a mess in, in, in many ways. Uh, verse 20 there uh, gives you an indication when Paul uh, basically says to them, you know, I don't know what you guys think that you're doing, uh, but it's not the Lord's Supper uh, that you've been doing. It, it had kind of morphed into some kind of a, a love feast where people were consuming all of the food uh, beforehand and some, some getting drunk, others were being left out, including the, the poor. 
Mark Dever wrote this about it. He says, their suppers had become an orgy of selfishness rather than a feast of sacrificial love. And so Paul has much to say to them here in these verses, but, but really uh, challenging them to get back to the, the basics, if you will, of, of the reasons why that we're doing what we do when we take the Lord's Supper. So I want you to notice five of them this morning. You can follow along in your Bible, of course, and also the outline is in your bulletin as well. Five reasons why we take the Lord's Supper. Uh, First, we take the Lord's Supper, Paul says, to remember. To remember. He says in verse 23, For I received from the Lord... What I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, Jesus said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 25, in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Of me. So first, Paul tells us uh, that, that I didn't initiate this supper, that Jesus was the one that instituted uh, the Lord's Supper. He started it in the upper room with his disciples on the night before he was crucified, and he passed it on to his apostles, passed it on to Paul, and he said, do this. It was his command. And the purpose, the reason Jesus tells us to do this is do this in remembrance of me. He says it twice. Do this to remember. That's important to understand right from the beginning. I'll say this in multiple ways, I I hope, during the, the message, is that we do not take the Lord's Supper to receive salvation but we take it to remember from where our salvation comes. And that is a a key distinctive and and belief that that we see from the Scriptures. This tells us something of how Jesus wants us to view these elements of of the bread uh, and, and the cup. This is my body, he says, which is broken for you. He picked up the cup. This is my blood, which is shed for you. These are symbolic elements that, that remind us of, of Jesus' death, his body being broken like that broken bread, his body broken on the cross for us. Those grapes, when they are squeezed, they bleed. They, they bleed their juices. This is a picture of Jesus being crushed for our iniquities. His blood has poured out for us. These things are symbolic. These things are pointing us to how we are saved. That is, on the cross, Jesus achieved a salvation for us that we could not earn, a salvation that none of us deserved. His death atoned for our sins before God. And and the Bible is clear. This is our only hope for salvation, that we repent and trust in Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection to be saved. And these elements point us to that. This is different than some denominations, uh, what they might believe. Um, uh, some are our friends, the Catholics, some Methodists as well, uh, believe that the body and the, the cup, the wine, they actually are transformed into the body and blood of Jesus, that they're miraculously transformed and so that you are ingesting 
Jesus. You're receiving communion. This is called transubstantiation. Uh, to receive communion in that way is to literally receive Christ. And uh, in those churches, you take the Lord's Supper in order to receive Him as a part of, this is how I'm saved, I believe, by taking this, this in. But you see, that's very different than what the Scriptures teach. What Jesus taught, His own words, do this in remembrance of me. It's not, the Lord's, the Lord's Supper is not celebrated to receive salvation, but it is to remember, it is to reflect on the salvation that Jesus achieved for us. This is why uh, we refer to communion as an ordinance and not a sacrament. An ordinance means something that basically Jesus ordered or He commanded. He says, do this in remembrance. Not a sacrament, something that imparts grace to us or imparts salvation to us. If you were to ask me, why do we take communion? I think a great answer would be is because Jesus told us to. We're being obedient to Him. He knew that we were prone to forget. He knew how often we needed to be reminded of it, that our memories fade the further we get from an event. And so He gave us a reminder that we can see, a, a reminder that we can even touch and taste and, and hear as we're talking about this, the reminder of the, the cup and the bread. Do this as often as you drink it, he says, in remembrance of me. So in just a moment, when we take it, we want to be doing that very thing. We're remembering. We're thinking about these things. We're remembering that God became flesh for us. And then he went to that cross and his flesh was broken for us. His, his blood was shed for us for our salvation. And our faith in him is the only, our only hope. Someone once said this, it's not the sweat of your brow, or in other words, your good works that cleanse you before God. It is the blood of a perfect Savior shed for you. We remember this. Secondly, we take the Lord's Supper to give thanks. To give thanks, verse 24 says, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This powerful language Jesus uses when he says that he, when he says that he broke it, he broke it. It re reminds us that, that the cross was not an accident. The cross was not plan B. It wasn't that God ran out of options and this was the only thing. No, this was the very purpose and plan of God that our Savior, Jesus Christ, willingly, voluntarily laid down his life for us. Jesus speaking of his life in that very way, John 10, 18, no one takes it from me, he says, but I lay it down of my own accord. What a glorious thought. That's how much he loves you. He laid it down for you. That's why the Lord's Supper, in a sense, there's a reverence that is a part of it, but there's also a sense that this is a worship and time for worship and thanksgiving as we celebrate this and give thanks for all that Christ has done. And so when we gather around this table, we're remembering truths that 
We have studied together. We remember Romans 5, 6 through 8, that while we were still weak and at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This table proclaims God's love for you. That he gave his son. It's why we sing just a moment ago that we, we stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder to ourselves, how could he love me, a sinner condemned unclean? It is a wonder, isn't it, church? This table was a testimony of Jesus' love for us. As we gather around this table, we're giving thanks for that. We're celebrating the fact that we were once dead in our trespasses and sins, Paul told us. But God, Ephesians 2, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. It's something to celebrate and give thanks for today. That I once was dead in my trespasses and sins, but because of what Christ did, I'm alive. I've been given new life in Jesus Christ. And then we marvel and give thanks at the mystery of how God did this. We read a verse like this in 2 Corinthians 5:21 that for our sake God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin. He was sinless, but he made him to be sin so that in him in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. Our salvation is not dependent on anything that we have done, but purely and solely on the righteousness of Jesus Christ, given to you by faith, by your faith in Him. This table affirms that over and over again, that it is His perfect life, His sacrificial death, that saved us. As believers, we're invited again to relish over these truths, to rejoice in these truths, to give thanks for these truths that in Jesus our sins have been forgiven, that Satan has been defeated, that eternal life has been granted, and it's all through the finished work of Jesus Christ for us. And so we receive it with joy, with thanksgiving, Every time we gather around the table, these truths should result in praise and thanksgiving. Third, Paul reminds us that we take communion to proclaim. This is verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That word means to preach. It means to declare. It's used 17 times in the New Testament, that particular word, and it's most often used in the preaching of the gospel. And here, Paul uses it here. When we're taking the Lord's Supper, he's saying we're actually proclaiming, we're preaching. By, by gathering at this table and, and taking these elements, we are proclaiming something. We're proclaiming, first, the centrality of Christ's death. 
that, that it's central. This is most important that everything in our, our fellowship and our church that we're, we're centered around this. Paul said, we preach Christ crucified, he said. We are not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And so this cross is central to who, who we are as Christians and, and what we're about. It's, it's, we're proclaiming that this is it. This is what this is about. Jesus, His cross. It, it, it also reminds us not just of the, the, the centrality of that, but also the exclusivity of it, of Christ. Because we're affirming, as Acts 4.12 says, that there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There's no way that we can gather around this table and, and conclude and think to ourselves that there must be some other way than this, than the cross. How often we do that, though, don't we? Well, we think there, surely it's got to be a little bit of my good works, too, mixed into this, doesn't it? Surely my, my, my obedience, or, or we hear all the time that all roads of religion lead to salvation, lead to the same God. It's not true. And, and this, this table affirms that, that it's not true. That there's one way to God, and it is through Jesus Christ. And so we must humble ourselves. We must acknowledge our sin and repent of our sin and, and trust in Christ. Perfect life and sacrificial substitutionary death to save us. There is no salvation in religion. There is no salvation in good works. There is no salvation in good intentions. There is no salvation with following any other God. Only in Jesus Christ. If we confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved, it says. And notice again in this, that taking the Lord's Supper does not save you. But rather, it points us to where our salvation is, comes. He, Paul did not write here, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you will be saved. He didn't say that. He says, as often as you eat it and drink it, the, you proclaim the Lord's death. Until he comes. That is, we're proclaiming and taking this, the Lord is my salvation. The Lord is. This makes it very plain uh, that the Lord's Supper is only for Christians to take. It is only for those who are repenting of their sin and trusting in Jesus Christ. It is only for those who belong to him already. And so you should not take communion today if you are not trusting in Jesus as your Savior. You should not take it if you've not followed Him in believer's baptism. In just a few moments when we pass them, I would ask you to let these elements pass you by if you are not a Christian. But I do so in love, and I do so, and I challenge you to ask yourself, why have I not repented of my sin and trusted Jesus Christ 
Is it my pride that's keeping me from this? Is it, is, it, uh, my, my under, is it my arrogance? Is it my unbelief? And then if, if this is you, then consider if the cross and the resurrection is the, uh, is the central climactic theme of the whole Bible, and Jesus has given both the baptism and this to remind us of, the, of this, which, which it clearly is, how could there be any other way to save you? There's not. This table was proclaiming the gospel the only way. You must turn from your sin and trust in Christ. Fourth, we take communion to examine ourselves. Paul, again, speaking verse 27, he says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Now notice his language there very carefully. Paul says unworthy manner, not unworthy person. Not unworthy person. This is not about whether you are that you are worthy or I'm worthy or deserving to take this Lord's Supper, if that were the litmus test, none of us should take this today. Amen? 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 You should not. This is not about an unworthy person, though. This is about an unworthy manner. How they were approaching this. The Corinthians here were approaching this table with very indifferent and unrepentant hearts, which is why Paul says in verse 28 that a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And so as Christians, when we come to this table, we need to ask and examine ourselves. And we do so by asking ourselves questions, preaching to ourselves in effect. As Christians, we need to ask, am I taking my sin seriously? As seriously as God takes it. Or have I been taking my sin for granted? Am, am I engaging in sin right now? Not necessarily right in this moment, but, but, but yeah, in, in which you have no plan or, or intention of repenting of. Like you're in a situation, circumstance right now, you're, you're in the middle of, of sinning, decisions that you've made, actions, the way you've been living your life, and, and, and which you have no intention of stopping. And again, this is not about struggling with sin. Every one of us struggle with sin. Amen? Now that was only half. The rest of you are not being honest. You're not getting the point about examining yourself. This is not about struggling with sin, because all of us do. This is about a willful refusal to turn away from sin. That's a very different manner. To come to this table of Christ, acknowledging your sin, humbling yourself, repenting of your sin, asking for grace to change, to, to, uh, to not do this anymore, is quite different than to come to this table and deliberately coddling your sin. Making a, Paul says, making a mockery of Christ's death. You should not take the Lord's Supper in that case. But you should repent. You should ask yourself, what am I doing? The wages of sin lead to death. 
Why am I not turning? Paul's very pointed about the seriousness of this. It's kind of surprising. I mean, who would have thought we would read something like in verse 29 when he says, anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And this is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. That's pretty serious, isn't it? Who knew that you'd put your life in danger this morning by taking part in this? He says, but if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we're disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. I mean, Paul tells the Corinthians here some of the problems that they're experiencing were actually God's judgment on them, chastening them because of their failure to do this, to examine themselves, to take their sins seriously. Some of them, he said, had gotten weak. Some of them had gotten sick. Some of them have died. Now, we don't conclude from that that anybody who's sick is, is, is sin. That, that's not what he's saying there. But, but I think he is saying, don't be surprised that if you're going to thumb your nose at God and His Word and go your own way, that there won't be any judgment in your life. And again, he's calling us back to repentance, isn't he? Examine yourself. Judge yourself. Repent of your sin. And so the Lord's Supper offers a a regular opportunity for us to do this. Is there unconfessed sin in your life? Does anyone have anything against you? Jesus said, go to them. Are you walking in fellowship with the Lord? In light of His Word? Or are you pretending, going through the motions and do you have, uh, so one preacher said, do you have sin on your calendar this week? Do you already know? Well, the wonderful promise of Scripture that we have is in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that wonderful? But let us not come to this table trying to hide disobedience behind our backs. Because God knows. Fifth, we take communion to come together. To come together. Five times in the verses that we read a moment ago, Paul uses the phrase, come together. He uses it twice in the final verses, verses 33 and 34. He says, so then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, he says, wait for one another And if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. I love love that. Wait for one another. Wait for one another. The the Lord's Supper is meant to be a reminder uh, uh, to us of what brings us together as a church. What brings us together, those, those of you who have experienced God's grace in Christ, you've been so changed, even though we might be different in 999 other kinds of ways, that because of Jesus Christ, we are one together in His family. At, at that foot of the cross, there's level ground and a love that unites us all. Just a quick word. I think this is why communion is not designed to be taken individually. 
This is why we don't let you take these home and uh, you can just do it whenever you want to in the privacy of your own home. That, that's not what's pictured here in the Bible. It's not taught in the Bible that way. It's not really taught to, to be like taken by a bride and groom at a wedding as a little individual kind of ceremony. No, it's meant to be taken corporately with the church. He says it over and over again, doesn't he? Come together, wait for one another. This is meant to be together. And so in, in the Scriptures, communion is a part of the gathered worship. It's not a private act of, of devotion. It's a corporate confession of faith and gospel proclamation. It's, it's a sign that identifies us together as God's people and gives us the assurance of belonging to Christ. And so what a remarkable privilege we have this morning to come to this table. And we come to remember, to give thanks, to proclaim, to examine, and to come together. I, I might add a sixth thing, but I'm getting close on time. But, but uh, to commune with the Lord. To commune with Him. Because though Jesus is not in the bread and in and, and the cup in terms of, of you know, physical trans transforming into those things, transubstantiating. Boy, there's no doubt as believers in Christ that He is with us. As we gather around this table, He's with us. And it's a glorious thought to think about. We're doing something today that Jesus instituted Himself some 2,000 years ago. Can you picture Him, you know, at the table, standing up, with that bread and breaking it and that cup and passing it around. Can you picture him on the night before he was crucified? Wow. What, what posture? What, what attitude does that vision encourage in us today? Well, let's bow our heads in prayer, prepare our hearts. I want to encourage you to take a moment to examine yourself and your relationship with the Lord. Is Christ in you? Are you trusting in Him as your Savior and Lord? Are you walking in obedience with Him? If not, use this time. Or maybe you recognize this morning you, you've never trusted Christ as your Savior and Lord. Let me encourage you. Turn away from your life of sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ, the only one who can save you. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I'm Pastor Jason Clark, and if you don't have a church home, I want to personally invite you to First Baptist Mount Washington. We're striving to be word-centered, gospel-focused, and community-minded. Learn more about our church and our meeting times from our website, fbcmw.org.